Glad y'all are here this morning. My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the Axis Church. Man, that that last song, man, that's. Uh, I, I pray that that's our posture um, for those who believe. I pray that that's how we consider our life. I pray that that is how I live my life and how I feel about Jesus and how we understand the first part so that it magnifies Jesus in the second half of the song to where we're indifferent to him, to where we're doing our own, we're leading ourselves to our own grave, uh, hopelessness, no hope within. Uh, but then regardless of my resistance and apathy and indifference to Christ, um, he insisted on saving me. Um, and that for those who believe he insisted on having you in his family and adopting you and saving you, um, that is beautiful. We're going to see that this morning as we look at a lady named Mary. Uh, so go ahead and turn to John chapter 20. Um, I was uh, informed that this isn't week 64. This is week 61, all right, that we've been in John. Regardless, it's over a year and uh, it's been a thrill ride. I've got some uh, fellas that want me to help them start a church in another state. Um, I'm staying here. Um, you're, you're stuck with me. Sorry. Um, but I told them, I was like, man, I would really love to teach you through the book of James, Ephesians, and John. Because uh, I've shared this with Jacob and some of the leaders here. Like, I feel that we are who we are as a church because of having worked through uh, months of the book of James, months of Ephesians, and months of John. Uh, so the Word of God, each Sunday, and I was sharing this with even Doug last week, like we change as a church, and I change as a man, I change as a dad, I change as a preacher, as a pastor, every sermon. Every sermon, something changes, something, a light goes off somewhere, and, and, I'm, and I'm altered. A little bit. I'm redirected a little bit. And I pray that the same thing happens to all of us through yet another sermon this morning. So I hope that you don't just look at 61 weeks and like, okay, John, how much can there be there? Are you trying too hard to stay long? No, like I want to move through these things. I'm excited about being able to unpack more books of the Bible, let them come alive so that we're sanctified even more and redirected and realigned even more as individuals in the church. Um, but I, so my, my prayer is that you don't just tolerate or consider this a nice sermon. I pray that you engage it and see Jesus here and love him more or that you would grow further away. My prayer is that you do not do that. But my prayer above all is that you hear me and that you make a decision today to either go all in or just go all out. But don't just stay where Jesus is nice and where this sermon is nice and this is okay. I want you to engage, engage at the level to where you receive or you reject where you make a decision. That's my prayer this morning for us all as we open the word of God, okay? Um, here we go. Let's jump in. I'm going to read the text, and then I want to pray for us that God would help us do everything that I just said, and, uh, and then we're going to unpack it, okay? Let's look here. John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18. Be encouraged by the reading of God's word. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus Jesus says to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. This is God's word. So here we are. This is, this is a Sunday morning. Uh, Jesus was crucified on Friday, dead all day Saturday. On Sunday morning, he beats death. 
Mary comes and visits the tomb uh, to discover that Jesus is not there. She runs and tells Peter and John, two of his disciples, John being the author of this book, and, and they come all running back to the tomb to see the empty tomb and to find the linens that had covered Christ's body folded neatly and in place and together. Not scattered like you would have thought had someone raided the tomb and tried to uh, steal the body of Jesus. They certainly would either have taken the linens with them. They certainly would not have uh, left them folded and neatly. They would have been scattered if they were left. So that's, that's when John believes that, that Jesus wasn't stolen, that he had beaten death when he sees the empty tomb with the linen folded. Peter and John leave to go back home, perhaps to tell Jesus' mother, Mary. Mary Magdalene, a very different Mary than the mother of Jesus, is still there and she's weeping. So before we move on any further, let's unpack who Mary is as a person. We learn in Luke 8 that Mary had seven demons at one time. At one time, she was possessed by seven demonic spirits. She was from Magdala. Magdala was a resort city. It was very luxurious. It was packed with immorality. It had a Vegas-type culture. What went on in Magdala stayed in Magdala. She was believed by most scholars uh, all throughout church history to have been a prostitute and a very renowned prostitute in this renowned city of Magdala. She is titled Mary of Magdalene, Mary the Lady from Magdala. Magdalene was not a desirable title. You did not want to be known as, the, as any person from that city. But the big thing that we know about Mary is that this isn't all of her story. She was changed by Jesus, and Jesus gave her hope, and Jesus healed her, that she, in fact, became part of Jesus' ministry team. So he totally changes this lady, removes her from her situation, and grants to her hope and peace. In this passage here, we're going to learn three things about Mary. First, she missed Jesus. She didn't catch the fact that Jesus was alive and even in her presence. She totally missed Jesus. The second thing is she gets to hear Jesus. And the third thing is she gets to hold Jesus. But we're going to learn even more when we ask further questions about these. So she missed Jesus, but why did she miss Jesus? She hears Jesus, but why was she the one who got to hear Jesus? And she holds Jesus, but why is she the privileged one to be able to hear, see, and hold Jesus? So let's get to work here as we tear through this text and uh, get to work, and then I'm going to have some closing comments on some uh, application. So let's, uh, let's look in verse 11. But Mary stood weeping, and this is, um, we don't really use weeping. Like, why are you weeping? We don't use it. We say, why are you crying? Like, what's wrong? Well, this, this isn't even a crying. This, this is a wailing. This is a, uh, I'm losing control. I'm convulsing. I'm hardly even, like, making a sound. Like, it's such a deep, deep cry. Tears are flowing. Shoulders are convulsing. I'm, like, destroyed within. So she is weeping intently outside the tomb and as she wept, she stooped in to look into the tomb. She's weeping not because Jesus is dead. She's not weeping because Jesus died. She's weeping because Jesus is not just dead, but someone stole the dead body of Jesus. Abusing the dead was a horrible offense, and someone was disgracing his grave. Someone was making a spectacle out of the dead body of Jesus. And she wants to rescue the dead body and give it a proper burial, a respectable burial. She stoops in to learn more about what had taken place, almost like a detective. She wanted to try to figure and piece all this together. Like, is there evidence anywhere of who would have done this? And we read earlier that the only, she, only thing she found were two angels and that she, she found his clothes folded up neatly so it didn't imply that someone came in and, and just totally abused the grave, ripped the cloth off, or like, no, it was folded neatly. And if you're going to steal Christ's body, you're probably going to take it with you, the linens with you. You're certainly not going to fold them before you run away with his body, right? It doesn't make sense. Verse 12, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head, one at the feet. Two angels, <laughs> they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they've taken away, they've carried away my Lord. 
and I do not know where they've laid him. This woman here, it's not a term of endearment, but it's not harsh either. It's just a fact. Lady, what's wrong? Why, why are you crying? It's like the angels are saying, what's the point in your tears? Jesus isn't here. And it's as if Mary says, I know he isn't here. That's why I'm crying. And then it's like they reply, exactly, he isn't here. Like, why, what's the, you shouldn't be weeping. He's alive is, is, is the, the, the angle of the emotion and the delivery of their words here. Verse 14, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. <laughs> A dead man had been brought to life and he's standing. Jesus was standing. That's awesome. That's, that's a big deal. I love that. But she did not know that it was Jesus. And there's many reasons you could say as to why this was possible, that she did not recognize Jesus. One, we know that her back is to Jesus, right? Um, she turns to see that it's him. She turns to look at the man. All right, so her back's to Jesus. She hears something. She turns. It could be dark right? It's, it's early. It could be the sun was coming up and just hitting right in the, in the eye. So he, she was seeing the silhouette of this man, but not really his appearance. You could say that uh, Jesus's body, which would have been perfectly restored to health as opposed to his wretched, beaten state at his death. She just totally did not have a mindset for a healed Jesus. You could say that her eyes were swollen, watery from all the tears. And as she was trying to look through her tears, it was just almost like impossible if you've cried a lot, you know what I'm talking about. However, the main reason that she doesn't recognize Jesus is because in her mind, there is absolutely no possibility, no way on earth that Jesus was alive. Somebody stole Jesus. If there's a man behind me, there's no way it's Jesus. Like, forget it. That's not even a possibility. I'm looking for him. He's, he's dead somewhere. I'm trying to find him. She had no concept or paradigm for Jesus being alive, much less standing here. Like, are you kidding me? Of course that's not Jesus. Of course that's not Jesus. Verse 15. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And I imagine, you know, high tent situation. It's not a lot to press in here and say that this upset her a little bit more. She's been asked this question already twice. Right? This is the, well, this is the second time this has been asked of her. It's obvious. There's an empty tomb. Everybody knows that Jesus was in the region, was buried here, especially the gardener. What do you mean? Why I'm, I'm weeping because Jesus isn't here. Woman, why are you weeping? But then watch what Jesus does. Jesus changes the subject to make it about him. He takes her eyes off of the cause and points it to him. Whom are you seeking? Not why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? As if he knows really why she's crying. Supposing him to be the gardener, she says to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. She implies here that Jesus is responsible for taking the body of Jesus away and hiding it. Right? Do you see that? Like she looks, she turns around, I think it says again. Uh, no, she just says it, her, her back's to the guy, like her back's to Jesus, not even look at him. And she's like, you know, if anyone's responsible for, for what takes place here, it's the gardener. You take care of the grounds, you take care of the tombs. You are ultimately responsible. You're paid money to make sure stuff like this doesn't happen. If you know where his body is, tell me and I'll go get it. Verse 16, her back is still to Jesus now. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned to him in Aramaic and said, Rabboni, which means teacher. John tells us in verse 20, verse 1, that Mary did this and Mary did that. And that in the Greek is Maria. Jesus doesn't say Maria as everyone else said Maria. He says Mariam. Here, it's a very particular way of pronouncing Mary. It was an emotional way. It was a, a personal way of addressing someone whose name was Mary. For instance, Joe Joseph, something similar like that. You would know someone as a nickname almost of their name. Jesus said to her, not woman, as in verse 15. 
Jesus says to her, Mary. She turns and says, Rabboni, which means great one. It's a title of honor from someone who is a disciple looking at their master and their teacher. She knew the voice of Jesus. And in John 10, it says that Jesus knows those who are his, and when he calls, they respond. This is unbelievable. Look at verse 17 now. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. Don't, don't touch. What that word literally means is pinch, okay? I don't know why they don't use that here. I guess that doesn't sound too robust. Like, stop pinching me, you know? But, but that's, that's the word here. It's that, it's, for some reason, that's, that's what this means. It's, it's holding on to really, really tight. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your, your God. And this word brothers there was a sense for my brother Brady and I to be considered brothers, but then there's a sense of me and Dave or me and Nate be considered brothers here at the Access Church. We're one in Christ. That's what this word is used for. There's two separate words for brothers here that we have, and this one specifically means to siblings of God. Like, go tell my fellow brothers in the Lord that I'm ascending. Such good news. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the master. I've seen him. I've seen him. And then she unpacks all the other things that he said to her. So in this passage, we learn three things. She missed Jesus. She heard Jesus and she held Jesus. Let's look first at she missed him. There's three three things that we learn here. She missed all the clues about Jesus. She gets to the tomb early on Sunday morning, and the tomb is empty. The grave clothes are folded. That should scream, he's not here anymore. He's risen. Doesn't have a paradigm, doesn't understand it, can't fathom it. The second thing is she sees two angels. She talks, she dialogues, okay, with two heavenly beings in white. They're glowing. These two messengers And what do they say? He's not here. Uh, In in Matthew and Luke, he's not here. He's risen. Gone. No thought at all. Jesus walks up to Mary and talks with Mary. Doesn't get it. She totally misses what's going on here. She believes, this is very important. I want you to listen very carefully here, if all possible. She believes Jesus in general but not his main message, that he died and rose for you. And that makes all the difference in the world. That's the difference between heaven and hell forever. You can have faith in Jesus. You can have a belief in the general idea of Jesus and the general idea of resurrection of Jesus and the general idea of heaven and the general idea of hope in Christ. And we can sing songs and we can become inoculated to, to believing that we're believers. But there's a, mass, there's, a, there's a vast divide between belief in a general sense and a personal saving faith in Jesus Christ to where he is the hope and longing of your soul. There is a stark contrast between the two when you see the ramifications of the faith involved. She doesn't see it. She doesn't believe it. She's completely adamant that he couldn't be resurrected. His body must be around here somewhere. She had a dead view of Jesus. She missed it, but why? What does this tell us? What can we learn here from Mary and Jesus? Right here, my family, we learn something very important to our salvation. We learn that faith is utterly impossible in and of ourselves. It's absolutely impossible. Mary loved Jesus. That's why she's there. Of course, her hope and peace is gone. She loved Jesus, and he's not there. She had done life with Jesus. She had seen him do miracle after miracle, raising dead people. She was there when Lazarus was raised, okay? That's a big deal, all right? She was there when she heard about him walking on water. She was there when he fed the 5,000 men, not counting their wives and children. 15, 30,000 people at one time with a lunch sack. She's seen these miracles, He's even changed her. She knew who she was before Jesus. She knows who she is now. She's different. 
Most importantly, she saw that not one single word that Jesus ever spoke failed. That what he said he would do, he would do. Mary heard Jesus talk about being put to death. We know that she heard it. If his enemies heard it, she had to hear it. His enemies heard it and put guards around the tomb so that no one would steal the body and say that, oh, he beat death. The enemies heard it and they had a plan against the resurrection and it failed. They passed out when they saw the angel. Not even Jesus. They passed out on an angel. Man. She didn't need more proof. Mary did not need further signs or gifts or evidences. She needed faith. She needed faith to believe, to believe into salvation. You see, Mary knew him. Mary heard him. Mary walked with Jesus. She learned from Jesus personally and in group settings. Mary was healed by him, changed by him. Mary heard him talk about beating death for the salvation of many. She heard this. She's heard him all through the book of John. She was a part of the majority of those moments. And on Sunday morning, Mary goes to the tomb, sees it empty, sees the two angels. And what does she say? He's risen. No. What does Mary say? They took his body. Where, where on earth is his body? This shocks me. Do, when you hear this this morning, does this surprise you at all? I mean, if we had heard and witnessed all that Mary had heard and witnessed, wouldn't you and I have believed? Wouldn't you and I have been like, oh, yeah, two plus two is four. Duh. It's so easy. Right? Hold that thought. All through the Bible, from Genesis all the way to the very end in Revelation, you see time and time and time again that faith is impossible for us. Impossible for us. We learn over and over and over and over that faith must be granted to us from God before we can ever experience it. Consider Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Faith, we're saved by grace through faith and that this is a gift. It's not of our own doing so that we can't boast and celebrate in our own faith. You can't simply make yourself a Christian. Saving faith is a gift. Mary teaches us. You see, Mary didn't need help to have faith in general, but she did have to have help to experience particular saving faith in the gospel, in the finished work of Jesus Christ, and what that meant for her, that he died for her, that he rose for her, that he is the source of her purpose and identity and affection and value and worth. And it's impossible for her to believe. If, if belief ever happens, it's granted by God and not by man. Read the Bible. It says it all through it. Mary seeking Jesus on her agenda, through her limited understanding, on her terms. That's why she doesn't see Jesus. We do the same thing, don't we? You see, this isn't how faith works. Faith doesn't work on us fitting Jesus into our box of evidence and proof and logical convincing. It's a gift of faith. We believe. Here's the paradigm for proper faith, okay? Here it is. Here's how to understand it. It's not Mary calls out, Lord, and he says, yes, Mary. That's not how faith works. Faith works like this. Jesus calls out, Mary, and we answer, yes. That's it. You see the same thing in Genesis. Go to the beginning. Adam and Eve sin, right? Adam and Eve hide themselves. They make for themselves leaf coverings because of their shame or their nakedness. And they run. And they hide themselves from the presence of the Lord. They heard him in the cool of the day. And they hid themselves, it says. Adam, where are you? I'm convinced, fully convinced, that had God not spoken that, men would still be running and never have hope in God. But it's because God took the initiative and said, Adam, there's nothing in us that desires God. There's nothing. We're dead. Dead people don't desire. We're dead. Apart from him, we're nothing. John 15 says there's no, nothing we can do outside of Christ. It's impossible. But God says, Adam, where are you? 
and he kills an animal, puts coverings, first sacrifice in Genesis, puts coverings over them, promises to crush Satan and sin one day through his son, through his offspring. He grants hope. He makes it happen. Adam, where are you? Mary, Mary. Then she sees. Then she knows him. Until then, she didn't. That's how faith works. That tells me how I'm supposed to pray for my lost friends and my lost family. Lord, give them the faith to believe you. Give them the faith to save them. Surprise them, please. You simply cannot make yourself a Christian. He must give you the gift of faith. I know there's several here who this truth troubles. Yet, I would say it's very liberating. It's very freeing. It, regardless of where you are in your faith journey, you need to see that our faith is a gift. And I know a lot of you are exploring Christianity and you're keeping it at arm's length until you get all the facts and then you're going to make your decision. Mary didn't need more facts. Mary needed faith. What you need is not mere facts. You need faith. So what that would tell me is, if I'm struggling to believe, do like the, the uh, lame boy's father and say, Lord, I believe you can heal him, but help my doubts. I'm struggling. Lord, I believe. I'm trying to believe. I want to believe, but I'm, man, I'm full of doubts. I'm full of like, not believing in you. I'm, I don't have this faith in you at all. He loves to hear that. He can work with that. Stop pretending and be honest and say what you feel. If you doubt, say, I doubt, I struggle. Man, this doesn't make sense. Jesus, help it make sense. Help this resonate in my heart. It's beautiful. Friends, there's simply nothing you can do to merit or earn faith. All you must do is pray to God, I want to believe you and help me have faith. We cannot merit God's salvation even for faith. It's a gift. Call out to God saying, I want to believe. I need you to be with my doubts and my unbelief. When you ask this, I believe it's already there. When you ask this, it's already in you or you wouldn't have asked for it and you wouldn't have desired for it. So celebrate even the, the desire to want desire in Christ. That's good. Mary teaches us that if we desire to believe that we should stick around even if things look confusing. Do you see that there with her? She doesn't know where else to go, so she's just kind of staying around, just expecting something to happen. Then stick around, keep looking, investigate, read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then say, Lord, I want to believe this. Speak to me. Show me your beauty. Show me your glory. I know so many of you have wandered around for months and maybe years saying, I don't know where Jesus is. Don't worry. He knows where you are. I don't feel like he's anywhere. He's close. Jesus meets Mary in her disbelief, her doubts, and her fears, and her confusion. And he's ready to do the same thing for you. Christian, let's see ourselves here with Mary. Do you, do you see yourself here? Or have you advanced? You're the varsity of Christians. Yeah, you're the, man, you got it all figured out. Ask.com, directly to your blog. There we go. All right, do we see ourselves here? Do you see yourself here? Mary is standing in the presence of Jesus, the greatest sign of hope ever given to humanity, the greatest sign of God's love ever given, the greatest power ever on display, the greatest wisdom ever at work is right here in Jesus standing. Mary is in the presence of the risen Lord Jesus, and she sees it as a disaster. This is an epic fail resurrection, nothing. And she's standing in the very presence of Jesus. He's putting all things together and she sees it as a disaster. God is saving her right here. God is saving the world. He's reconciling all things in this moment even. And she says disaster. Do you see yourself there? Look at what's going on in your life right now. Are you running around forgetting his promises just like she did? Are you running around and can't see what he's doing just like she is? And are you treating him as if the enemy, the one who is messing up all things in your life, the gardener? She met Jesus and thought he was the enemy, thought he was a thief. 
If all seems crazy and falling apart in your life and you wonder, God, are you even aware? It's not because he's not there. It's because he's aware and he is there. It's not because he's abandoned you. It's because you simply can't see it. If we do not remember who we are in him and have our our identity taken from that relationship of what it means to be in Christ, then our unbelief is all that we're looking at everything else through. We can't see it. It's as if our belief or our, our unbelief is a windshield and regardless of what the road is in front of us, all we see is the mud on the windshield. We can't get through that. It's the unbelief that's clouding our perspective and it seems like everything's messing up, but it's because the faith simply isn't in there that God is good and that he will fulfill every promise that he gives to his children. This is our hope. We run around just like Mary. Christian, please believe with me that this is us, that we're right here just like Mary a lot of the times. All things are going crazy. All things are falling apart. And you're sure that God isn't there. And all there's around, there's people around, but all they are are enemies who are out to get you. Actually, he is there and his messengers are there. You're just not listening. He's working, but you're just not seeing. She missed it, yet Jesus breaks through. Faith is a human impossibility, but God loves to give it and to make it possible recognize your unbelief or you're going to spin your wheels the rest of your life. You don't need another sign. You don't need more proof. You don't need more evidence. You need faith. Ask God for faith to believe and it changes something about everything in your world. So, moving to the second one. Second one, Mary heard him, but why? Why was it Mary that got a chance to hear him? He chooses to reveal himself to Mary first before anyone else. Why? Why Why is she the one who gets to hear the voice of the risen Savior of the world first? This is important to John, the author, to include in his narrative of the life of Christ. John wants us to see that because Jesus is God, he can use the lowest of the low to accomplish his mission. That, that it has to do with more that with his abilities and his strengths than ours. We don't have to work to prove ourselves. Jesus uses Mary's. The dirtiest, the weakest, the lowest places are where Jesus wants to do mission. Even when we're believers, so often we think it has something to do with our strength rather than it being us emptying ourselves of all that we are and relying more and more on him and on his power and his strength to fill us and to change us and to use us. Knowing how faithful and responsible Jesus is for our salvation should produce in us humility. It should be a defining, defining factor of, uh, of what a Christian is, is they're, they're humble. Knowing that we can do nothing outside of Christ. The people who seem to be the closest to God are those who are most desperate for God, who are, who are so hopeless were it not for him. He opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Okay, so Mary, she's the first one to see the risen Lord, okay? She thinks that he's the gardener. She challenges him. He breaks through Mary. He says, Mary. And when she hears her name spoken by Jesus, it changes the whole situation. He says, woman, doesn't change a thing. Nothing happens. Just (laughs) an insult, uh, uh, implying that Jesus is a thief, right? He says, Mary, to which she responds, teacher, is that you? Of all the people in the world, Jesus chose Mary to hear his voice first. She was the first one to share the message of the risen Lord as an eyewitness to his body. He chose a reformed prostitute, a mental patient, not a pillar in the community, not someone on the board of something somewhere famous or respectable. She was a lay person, not an officer. This is who he revealed himself to. Why? You see, Mary was on the outside of everything that was considered good in her culture. She was a woman, not a man. She was poor, not middle class or above. She was deranged, not sane. She was immoral, not moral. She was on the outside of everything. My friends, that is the gospel. The gospel is 
that God's salvation does not come on the basis of merit or pedigree or race or class or gender or pecking order. The gospel is everyone is bad and Jesus is the only perfect and the only good. The gospel is that through Jesus, the bad become perfect. The gospel is that through Jesus, the hopeless have hope. The gospel is that through Jesus, the dead become alive. The gospel is that through Jesus, the orphan is adopted. The gospel is that through Jesus, the enemies are made sons and daughters, brothers and sisters. The gospel isn't the good or in, the bad or out. That's not gospel. That's moralism, where you got to be good enough to be in the club. That has nothing to do with the gospel. That has nothing to do with the Bible. That's nuts. That's ludicrous. It's not how good you are. The gospel is the humble are in and the proud are out. The gospel isn't you give God a perfect record. Score. No. The gospel is God gives you a perfect record. The gospel is not that it's your past that's determining your relationship with the Father. But it's Christ's past and his record that determines your relationship with the Father. That's good news. And this is what Jesus Christ is telling Mary, and that's what he's trying to get across to us today. Do you see it? Not only do we see how salvation works here, but we learn that he typically uses Mary's to accomplish his purposes and his missions. Hold on, listen for a second. It's not the powerhouse Egyptian rule to bring his salvation to every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. It's little, seemingly insignificant Israel with a big, significant promise. It's not big Roman empire, but it's two handfuls of, of outsiders who start the church. It's, it's not Goliath, but little and seemingly insignificant David. It's not the power of numbers that God allows Gideon to conquer the Midianites. It's in a few handful of men. Jesus is born to poor people in a stable, a barn at best. He doesn't have a baby shower with the wealthiest people coming to welcome him in to the world. Shepherds. Some of the lowest people in culture showed up to celebrate Jesus. All throughout his ministry, it's as if his followers are asking him, Lord, when are you going to blow this thing up, man? When are you going like, to do all this stuff on like, a consistent level? How are you going to network? You know? like, how are you going to work things out a little bit? You know? Where is this kingdom thing going to come from? And, and how is it going to happen? Stop spending so much time with children. Children, come on. People. You know, culture producers. Today, man, come on. Not the prostitutes, not the tax collectors, not those sinners. We need blind, like, blind beggars. Come on. Let's, let's get somebody with some reputation up in here. How does Jesus respond? He goes out and he gets himself killed. And the moment he's raised from the grave, you see what he does? He picks up right where he left off. He chooses a reformed prostitute and says, I'm going to start my church right here. And for a moment, she was the church. She was the only one in the church. For that brief moment in our calendar, the way we see time, that was it. She was the very first evangelist, <laughs> a reformed prostitute. Man, that gives me hope. Why? Mary's there, but why? Why is she the only one there? Luke records that Jesus said, he who has forgiven much loves much. And I'd say she loved Jesus more than anyone else. And that's why she's still there. Everyone else is gone. It's the reason why she came. And it's the reason why she hasn't left. She knew that she was a sinner. She knew that she was broken. Mary knew that her, 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 how big her debt was. And yet she remembers when Jesus told her that she could be forgiven and be made a child of God and be granted an inheritance and belong when she used to not belong. Man, that's a big deal. This is why Marys are chosen and used. It's people who know that they're sinners, who know the depth of their sin. They're the ones who can love like this. Some of you here, there's no joy. There's no tears. There's no incredible confidence like Mary has that he has to be somewhere, and there's no weeping either. Your religion is a matter of duty. You've always been religious. You've always been in church. You've always led in the church. Like, you're just, you're just all, like even now, you're in church. 
Always. Here's why you don't have Mary's joy, and here's why you have a longing to be used, but you're not being used like you want to be used. There's a lot of people like that here, and a lot of us fit in this category, though not all, but most of us fit here that, that you don't know that you're a sinner. You're, you're, a soup, you're superficial in your understanding of your brokenness. You don't realize what dead really means. You think dead meant a lot alive, but not quite, maybe. You don't think dead means dead. All here have started out dead, trespasses and sins, guilty, separated, alienated, hostile. Ephesians 2 says that we were, like, instead of Christians, we were Satanists. Like we were following Satan. He was our rabbi. He was our leader. We were for him. I was never that way. That's my point. That's the whole point I'm trying to show you guys. Mary knew that that's who she was. We think, being the religious South, that we're pretty good. We think, man, God did something pretty special when he saved me. He's really smart. He knows what he's doing. He knows I can be a good evangelist. That's why he saved me. He knows I'll study and take him serious. That's why he didn't save them. He saved me. We're not convinced that all of us were followers of Satan. When you start there, like Ephesians starts there, Ephesians 2, dead, and if dead, following, following, that word following is almost a robotic form where you don't know how not to follow that. So you're just blindly following Satan, the prince, the power, the air, the spirit at work within, uh, he's at work within the hearts of children of wrath and the disobedience. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, that's where we start. You don't start off pretty good and get made better. You start off dead and bad, rejected, insufficient, guilty, despised, separated, alienated, no hope. Ephesians 2, I think 14 or 15 says, without God in the world, no hope. When you start there, it becomes a little bit easier to celebrate Jesus. When you start there, it becomes a whole lot easier to appreciate what Jesus Christ has done. I wasn't pretty bad. My, I'll tell you, I've been praying for about, I don't know, probably four weeks now. I've been praying for something specific, personally, that I would feel like Paul says he's a chief of sinners. Man, I'm praying that I would know myself to the core, to the point that he knew himself, that I actually felt like I was the worst man on the planet. Because then I would be able to celebrate Jesus at an even greater level. But I don't think I'm the chief of sinners. I think I'm pretty good. There's a lot of people I could point out that are worse than me. They don't have the faith that I have. You see how dangerous that is? That's wicked. My prayer is that I would see my sin. My prayer is that I would know how wicked I really am and how dead I really am apart from the saving invigorating grace of God through the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's my prayer for you guys too. Other Marys, the drug addicts, the sex addicts, the prostitutes, the thieves, man, they know, they know they're not moral. They know they're not righteous. They know what being a slave to sin is. But do you, do you look at them like they're in a different class? Or do you see yourself, at least at one point in time, apart from Christ, right there? Do you, do you know what it's like to be a slave to achievement? I know you do. I know you do. You might not be a thief or a grand liar or a sex addict or a porn addict or a drug dealer or a prostitute. But if you desire achievement and fight your life to achieve, there's absolutely no difference in those sins, my friends. What about your search for position, your search for status, your search to know it all so that you can be the Bible answer man? What about your search for being morally superior to those around you so that you feel like you can influence them and give them great counsel at times? These are just as vile and wicked and must be repented of, just like the most heinous of sins. Do you realize that you've hijacked your life and you're avoiding Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? 
until you see yourself as sinful as Mary, you're not going to be used. You're not going to be used. That desire to be known and recognized, until that's gone, you're not going to be known and recognized. I hope it doesn't happen. The best thing God's doing for you right now is not allowing it to happen. It's the Marys of the world and the people who realize that they're no different than the Marys of the world. Those are the only two people, only kinds of people that will ever be used. Jesus chose Mary first so that Christians every day should take their religious snobbery, self-righteousness, egos, and throw them on the ground and crush it and kill it under your foot. If you look down your nose at others who perhaps aren't as good as you and who haven't achieved like you have and who don't have the faith or the knowledge like you have attained, or maybe those that are beneath you in education or beneath you in social status or beneath you in economic status, then you're not reading the Bible. You're not reading the Bible correctly. When, when you read Bible stories and you're always the good guy, you're not reading the Bible correctly. Always read the Bible, find the worst guy, that's where you're at. And if there's not a bad guy, it's because you were too scared to show up to the conversation, and that's you. Get your snobbery out. That is not what Nashville needs. That's not what your family needs. That's not what your children need. That's not what your neighborhood needs. There's enough snobbery. May God produce in us a spirit of humility as we understand what a Satanist is and understand what a Christian is and be radically blown away that somehow, without us knowing, we love Jesus instead of Satan. When we realize who we are and what Jesus actually did for us, and what I mean by believing that is that particular saving faith not a general assent to the truth belief, but a heartfelt change in devotion and faith towards Christ and his work, knowing that without him you have no hope, that saving faith. Unless, unless we know what Jesus actually did in us to produce that, and unless we know who we were before he changed us, we're not going to be able to be gracious. We're not going to be able to be patient. You're going to be on edge. You're going to be graceless. And you're not going to have much patience with people. And when you're not showing grace and you're not showing patience, that reveals something really deep down within who you are. It's not because they did this bad thing. A lot of times it's because you're trying to make yourself a big thing. All right, last one. Sorry. A little bit lengthy today. All right, so Mary holds Jesus. She holds Jesus and he says, stop. This is kind of puzzling for me. Not, not so tight. Stop pinching me. Why? Well, I'm not ascended yet. Well, in Matthew 28, 9, they grab Jesus and they, they grab his feet. He says nothing. With Thomas, he invites Thomas to touch the wound in his side where they cut him. So why is this wrong with Mary? What has she done? Mary thinks that it's just like the old times. It's not the holding of Jesus. It's what she's saying in the posture of her heart as she clings to Jesus. She's thinking, Jesus, you're going to tell me how to live, and I'm going to live that way, and, and we're going to have great fellowship together all my life. But Jesus is saying, I want you to know that there's something better to come. There will be a unique way of holding me. I'm ascending. You don't understand yet, but you will that I died for you and I have beaten death and I'm going to ascend to my heavenly father and sit on my throne, the very throne of God at the right hand of the father. You see, Mary must not cling to the unascended Jesus because his permanent living with her is not going to be in her hands as she thinks, but in her heart through his spirit. That's why it's a little odd. Like what's this saying? It's a spiritual truth, not a literal truth. It wasn't a literal holding. It was the it was the spiritual grasping in, uh, of his physical body that she now has hope that all her dreams are going to come true in this lifetime that she was saying as she was holding him, and he knew this, and he called it out. But then Jesus says, and I'm wrapping up, I promise, my God and your God, my Father and your Father. When, Jesus, when, when God looks at Jesus at his right hand, he sees you, Christian. When he looks at you, he sees Jesus. In other words, he treats you 
as if you were as good as Jesus, as holy as Jesus, as righteous as Jesus. This is what it means to receive the imputation of the righteousness of Christ and to be made whole and righteous, justified. The only reason why God is your father is because he's Jesus' father. The only reason why it's your God is because it's Jesus' God. That means that you are holy and without blame in his sight. And as a result, his spirit can come right into you. Jesus is saying, Mary, there's, there's going to be a clinging to me like you've never thought possible. And you don't understand it right now, but it's possible. My question, are you holding him? Are you holding him, expecting him to make your dreams come true, to give you that wife, to give you that husband, to give you that job, to give you that house, to give you that career, to help you even stay pure, like you're looking for these, these small gifts that are good, but you're making them the issue when the issue is Jesus. Cling to him and him alone. Many here have a, a general belief in him as teacher, but you don't feel him. When you pray, do you feel him? When you reach out, do you sense his love? When you hold him, does he hold you? Is there that intimacy and, and friendship between you and God? That's what he's saying. That's what's available now. And that's what happens through his spirit when we're saved. You may say, but I've done so many bad things. How in the world is there hope for me? Well, if you, if you don't feel like you fit in Mary, if you feel like you're worse than Mary, I mean, that's hard for me to imagine. But, but let's look. Look at who Jesus sends Mary after to go tell of the resurrection. Does he say, go tell those miserable deserters that I'm alive and they shouldn't have ever turned their back on me? No. He says, go tell my brothers. It's not the ones who always get it right. It's the deserters that he sends them after, sends her after to go tell. It's not the religious perfectionists and the Pharisees. It's those who just abandoned him. He heard their footsteps of fear running away in the garden whenever he was arrested. Those guys. He doesn't say, go tell Peter, the denier, that I'm alive and he shouldn't have denied me. No. Mary, go tell my brothers that I'm ascending to my God and your God, to my father and your father. Go tell them. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus says, because of me, you're my brother, you're my sister, you're my son, you're my daughter, you're my family. All who are here, Christians and non-Christians, believers and doubters, do you need faith amidst all your confusion? Do you need love in the midst of your alienation and separation? from so many significant relationships? Do you need a connection somewhere? Like, do you want to feel purpose and meaning? It's all in the hands of the risen Jesus. Go to him and see him. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, would you please move in this time? Lord, would we do some serious inspection of our own hearts with fear and trembling as we consider these truths, Lord, would you cause them to stir an affection in these people and in my heart during this time of reflection. We love you, Jesus. Thank you. Amen.